Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So, uh, many of you know, uh, this last week I had a minor surgical procedure. And uh, when you go in for surgery, the first thing they do is you you go into pre-op. Pre-op is where you get that really thin gown that doesn't quite attach in the back, okay? It's just like really uncomfortable. But then after you get into the bed and everything, then they start checking all these things. They, they take your temperature. Um, they put the cuff on and che- uh, check your blood pressure. Um, they listen to your breathing through the stethoscope, test- make sure you're breathing okay. And then, then they hook me up to this EKG. So I like all these stickers with wires coming out all over the place. And it was to measure heartbeat and pulse and, and all of that. Um, because for surgery, they want to make sure that you're healthy and that your body can handle it. And so they check everything before you go in. And fortunately, they check it as they go along in the surgery. Um, but the, what they're doing is, what they're checking is what's called vital signs. The four basic vital signs um, that show and assess the, uh, the health and vitality of somebody is temperature, blood pressure, respiration, and heartbeat. And so that's what they check. And I was thinking as we're getting into this new year about this new series, Vital Signs, that there, is, there's, <clears throat> there should be some ways to assess our health in all these different areas of our life. Um, how do you assess the health of your, your relationships? How do you assess the health of your finances, um, your emotional health, uh, certainly physical health? We know what those are. Um, and, and then today what we're going to talk about is spiritual health. How do you assess your spiritual health and vitality? And, and I think that's really the most important one because it really is it's, it's, it's a measure of the condition of your soul. And, and the soul is the core of your being. And so if, if your soul is not healthy, it spills over into every other area of your life. It will affect your relationships. It'll affect your emotional state. Um, it'll affect your finances. It will affect your physical well-being. And so um, today we're going to start this new series. We're calling it Vital Signs. And we're going to start with what I believe is the most important one. How do you assess your spiritual health? And, and let me just say this, and this is good. Every time we start a new series, we tell people, if you are not in a community group yet, this is a great ch- time to jump into one. Um, because in the community group, they're all sermon-based studies and they're um, discussions. And so um, you will learn from other people. You will build support network and build relationships and, and grow and learn together. And um, this is a great time to do that at the beginning of the year, beginning of a new series. So if you're not uh, in a community group, you can get into one. Today, if you stop by the table out in the lobby, um, Vanessa will be there. Someone will be there. We'll get you signed up and we'll get you connected into a community group this week. So you can be part of that conversation all the way through. So today we're talking about spiritual health. If I were to ask you, how's your spiritual life going these days? How would you measure that? What, what kind of things would you think about? What, 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 what's the measuring stick? How do you figure out your spiritual well-being? More than likely, your thoughts kind of go to things like, well, am I having a quiet time? Am I reading my Bible? Am I praying? Am I going to church? You know, all those things. And those are all really good and important things, but those are not the vital signs. Those are kind of like the exercises that help you get healthy. But how do you assess the health, the spiritual health and well-being of your life? Paul wrote a number of letters. In fact, most of our New Testament is Paul's letters to churches throughout the Mediterranean area. And he wrote a letter to the Colossian church. And I think it gives us some really good vital signs when it comes to your spiritual health. So in the beginning of his letter, this is what he wrote. Colossians 1, beginning of verse 9. 
It says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And here they are, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with power, all power according to his glorious might, so you may have endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I think that little section there gives us four really good, and it's maybe not an exhaustive list, but four really good assessments for our spiritual health and vitality. And so what we're going to do is, and we're going to do this each week, um, you'll notice if you have your outline pulled out, um, the paper outline, at the bottom of each point, there's a place, a scale of one to 10. I'm going to have you put an X as to where you see yourself um, in the, on that scale when it comes to that particular vital sign. And let me just say this up front, you don't have to show your paper to anybody else. Okay? This is just between you and God. And do not look at somebody else's paper. Okay, this is not a means of making judgment, okay? This is a means of assessing your own spiritual health and well-being. One more other thing I would say about that is, I know, I know because I do it, that when you go to the doctor, you kind of fudge a little bit. Like he asks them, you know, are you getting regular exercise? Like if you're, if you're exercising like maybe one or two days a week, you kind of stretch and say, well, two to three times a week, you know? Um, you know, are you, do you drink alcohol? Well, just one or glass of every two or three days, you know? Okay, everybody does that. So I'm going to tell you, don't lie, because God already knows the real answer. This is for you to assess your own spiritual well-being. And I'm going to give you four questions that you can ask yourself when it comes to your spiritual health. And the first question is this one. Is my life producing any tangible results? Now, we talked about this last week. Paul calls this fruitfulness. He says, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. We talked about this last week, and I won't go into great detail about it. If you missed it, go back, listen to the podcast, or, or go online and watch the video. But, but it has to do with these two big ideas, that if I live my life, if you live your life only about you, it will be a waste. It'll be a total loss. If your life is only centered on you, your well-being, your self-improvement, your whatever, It'll be a waste of your life. It'll be a total loss. But, but if you invest your life in those outside of you or around you, that is great gain. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about here. It's not about your salvation. We are saved by God's grace. It's our faith and our trust in what Christ did for us on the cross. It's not about salvation. What it is about is about service and significance. It's leading a significant life by serving other people. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God uniquely shaped you and formed you and gifted you and talented you and all of those things that make up who you are for a purpose, to do the good works that he prepared for you to do. And if you don't do those things, you are the one who misses out as well as those around you. He says, that's, 
That's the idea behind all of this, that you were made to do something in this world, to do those good works. And it's all about results. It's all about producing fruit. A number of years ago, um, we took a tour of a winery and, and uh, you know, went through all the different stages and everything about it. And uh, the guide was telling us about when they plant a new vine, <clears throat> it usually takes two to three years before any fruit produces. And once it starts producing fruit, it will generally produce fruit. That vine will produce fruit for 125 years or so. But if they plant the vine and they put all of the resources and they water it and they cultivate it and they tend it and it never produces fruit, it's a waste. Same thing is true with your life. God has gifted you and he's cultivated you and he's, he's given you all these things so that you will be able to do the work that he's called you to do. And if you don't do that, then your life is really just wasting away. And the one thing I have found, and people have told me this in their own experience as well, over and over again, the greatest contributor to your own spiritual growth and development is when you serve other people. It's just how God's economy works. That I've, when, when, when I have to prepare a lesson or a talk, I learn more in my preparation than I could ever teach anybody. Anytime you serve somebody, when you get beyond yourself, you actually benefit from it. And whether it's being actively involved in a church ministry, in a formal church ministry, or just in your neighborhood or your, your, your community, your, your family, your school, your job, whatever it might be, when you serve others, it's an assessment of your spiritual health. Paul wrote to the Colossian church, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is a great definition of ministry, a great definition of service. Whatever you do, whatever it is, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do in Jesus' name, that's ministry. Is my life bearing any tangible results? Is it bearing any kind of fruit at all? On your outline there, okay? Scale of 1 to 10. Where would you put the X on your paper? Now's the time to be marking the X, okay? Don't just look at me like, huh? Okay? Participation here. Okay? Where would you put that X when it comes to your, uh, your involvement and, and uh, tangible results? Second question. Am I growing in my knowledge of God? In other words, am, 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 I, am I understanding God and, and what he's doing in this world? That is the second vital sign that he gives us. He says, live this life worthy of the Lord to please him in all ways, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, our best resource that we have in this world to know God is scripture. It's the Bible. It is the most authoritative um, expression of God's word to us. It is the most um, accurate in understanding what God is about and what he's doing in this world and our part in all of that. That is, scripture is the best place. So being involved in scripture, and again, it's not just reading scripture to make, get through it and, and get the brownie points for it, okay? It's, it's letting scripture get through me. It's a means by which I get to know God, which is the real vital sign. Statistics. Um, they've done a number of re uh, researches on this, uh, Barna Group particularly. They have found that 88% of adult, um, adults in America own a Bible. That 88% of Americans, adult Americans own a Bible. And in those homes, those households that have a Bible, they usually have multiple, on average, at least three Bibles. So 88%, that's like a huge, vast majority of the adult population have a Bible and of that, they have at least two 
or three in their household. And yet, and yet, when they went a little bit further and they asked, so when it comes to reading the Bible, like if you read three to four times a year, 53% said, I read my Bible at least three or four times a year. And remember how people fudge a little bit, okay? (laughs) And when they asked about daily reading, it went all the way down to 15% said they actually read their Bible every day. They did further research, found some other interesting facts that only one in four U.S. adults can correctly name the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, in case you didn't get those, now you know them. Okay, another one. 80% cannot name at least one of the Ten Commandments. Only 60% of Christians can correctly name the four Gospels. Okay, say them with me. Matthew... Okay, you passed that test. Good job. Um, Here's another one. 75% believe the saying, God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. It is not. Ben Franklin said that one. Okay, that is not scripture. And this one, this this one kills me. 12% believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. (laughs) Mrs. Arc. Now that's funny. And yet it's kind of sad. That we have all these resources available to us, and we have such biblical illiteracy on just like basic kind of stuff. And the best way you're going to get to to know God is to read his word. And there's so many resources available. We have our community groups, what I talked about already. We also have um, classes around here we call Northgate U, um, where it's more of a classroom setting where you can learn uh, um, other things. And and, um, and, and there's, there's... you don't even have to own a Bible these days. If you have a smartphone or a tablet or a, commu- uh, a computer, there is an app called YouVersion. Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. YouVersion. It has umpteen numbers of English translations of the Bible online. Some of them you can download right onto your device. And you can read scripture on a regular basis. They have everything from the old King James Version to the most modern um, paraphrase that there's available. And you can find one that's easy reading for you. And, and you can also do this through that app. You can also set up reading plans. You can read the Bible in two years, all the way through in two years. They can set it up to read the Bible all the way through in one year. If that's a little too ambitious for you, you can set it up to read the New Testament in one year. Um, there's devotionals in there that you can sign up for. And you can set it up as a reminder to buzz in your pocket. It's time to do your Bible reading. You've got all of these resources available to us. But the only way you're going to really get to know God is if you use them. In the same way that your physical well-being is only going to happen if you start exercising and dieting and eating correctly. You've got to do certain exercises in order to develop the health. Now, the end is not the exercise. The end is the health. Feed your mind and your soul with Scripture. Paul put it this way. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And I want to break that down a little bit. Knowledge, knowledge is what you get when you read Scripture. When you read the Bible, you find out information about God. You learn some things about God. You gain knowledge. But knowledge has to have some practical application to get wisdom. 
See, because I can have knowledge that, that smoking cigarettes is bad for my health. They cause all kinds of lung diseases, cancer, emphysema, all kinds of other things. I can know that, but if that doesn't keep me from smoking cigarettes, that's not very wise. See, the knowledge leads to some kind of action, which is wisdom. And as I act on that in a uh, consistent way, I develop understanding. I I really begin to understand. God knows what he's talking about. This way that he says to live is really the best way to live. That it starts to to shape every way that I approach my life. Knowledge to wisdom to understanding. And there's so many different ways that you can do this. So here's my question. Where would you put the X on that scale for you? Am I growing in my knowledge of God? Scale of 1 to 10. Third question. Am I relying on the strength of God? Now, I think there are two different aspects to this one. He says, live that life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, when it comes to being strengthened with his power, like I said, I think there's two aspects to this. The one is, and you might ask yourself this question, is there anything that I am facing in my life right now that is overwhelming to me? Is there anything that's beyond me? Um, It might be a challenge that you're facing. It might be a difficult situation you're dealing with. It might be a fear that you struggle with. It might be a past and a failure that you're trying to get over. But is there something in my life that's just so beyond me and I can't fix it on my own? It is time for me to let go and trust God's provision. Trust God's strength and power. Not necessarily to just remove that situation, but to give me the strength to endure it. Because as you endure it, you develop that spiritual stamina that leads to spiritual health and well-being. So one of the questions when it comes to the strength of God is, am I relying on him or am I trying to do this all on my own? These difficult situations, these things that I'm struggling with, am I just trying to fix them on my own or am I relying on the strength of God? The second part, and that's what he says, actually. He says, so that you may have great endurance and patience. The second part of this is, Am I doing anything outside of my comfort zone in which I rely on the power of God? Am I taking any new steps of faith, any bold steps of faith? Is there anything that I'm just stepping out beyond my ability? And if God doesn't come through, I'm going to fall flat on my face. Because the only way that you gain strength is through exercise. The way that you deepen your faith is you take those bold steps. Now, I will tell you, there have been times in my life, seasons in my life, where I would take great bold steps of faith and and take those risks, and it didn't faze me at all, mostly because I was young and I was dumb and I didn't know any better. You know, it's just, well, okay, well, let's go do it. But I found as I got older, a little more conservative, a little more want to be comfortable, don't want to rock the boat, you know, and there would be times in my life, seasons in my life, where the thought of taking a big, bold step scared me to death, wanted nothing to do with it. But I do know this. If you're going to grow and stretch and, and, and develop your faith, you're going to have to take bigger, bolder steps. We just celebrated our 25th anniversary um, last year as a church and shared some of the stories of where as a church we came up against some things and we just we didn't know what the answer was going to be. It was either maybe a financial need or a staffing need or whatever it would be. And we would come up against these things and it was totally, we have no idea how we're going to get through this, how we're going to handle this at all. And just at the right moment, in just the right way, God provided exactly what we needed when we needed it. Now here's the thing. You don't get to tell those kinds of stories if you never take those kinds of steps of faith. 
So you want to be able to tell about God's miraculous breakthrough and how he, he came through at just the right time. But if you're never taking bold, risky steps of faith, you will never experience his power in that way. When you do, you find he has more than enough strength and power for us. He won't disappoint. You just keep pushing through. To the Galatian church, Paul wrote this way. Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You're faced with a challenge today, and, and it's beyond you, and you just feel like, I just, I, just hang in there. Let God carry you through. If you're facing a big, bold step of faith, and you're thinking, I don't know if I can do that, take the step. Don't give up. See what he'll do in you and through you because of it. So, scale of 1 to 10, where would you put an X on this one when it comes to your life, when it comes to relying on the strength of God? Are you doing anything in which you are absolutely dependent on God coming through for you? Last one. Am I cultivating a change of attitude? Because see, ultimately, spiritual health has to do with the person I'm becoming. Am I cultivating a change of attitude? Is there change taking place in me? Not, not so much the fruitfulness of, of, of my, my, um, my service, but, but what's happening inside of me. Am I cultivating this change of attitude? He goes on. Live a life worthy of the Lord. Please him in every way, giving joyful thanks to the Father. Now, that's not a really good, accurate translation because joyful thanks, in, in the original language our New Testament was written in Greek, it's actually one word, and the word is eucharisto which is where we get our English word, Eucharist. And and what it literally means is good grace or good gratitude. And when we share together the Eucharist, when we share together in communion, we are remembering God's good grace to us with great good gratitude. That's what that's about. And the root of that word gratitude is the word grace. That the life of faith is a life filled with grace. And a life of grace is a life of gratitude. That, that, I, that God is doing something in me and I am learning to trust in him and he is beginning to transform my life. That I look at it completely different. I'm becoming a changed person from the inside out by the work of the power of God in me, by, by the service that I perform, by the things that I do and the practices I engage in. God begins to change me from the inside out. To the Galatian church, he put it this way. The Spirit produces fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, in other words, the measure of my spiritual health and well-being is am I becoming more loving or not? Am I becoming more joyful? Am I living more at peace or not? Am I patient? Am I more patient? Am I kinder, gentler? Am I becoming more faithful? See, that's the measure of my spiritual growth and, mental, and, and uh, vitality is, are those changes taking place in me? Am I seeing real transformation happen? John Ortberg writes about this in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted. He writes about a guy in his church named Hank. That's a pseudonym he uses, but let me just read it to you. It says, Hank, as we'll call him, was a cranky guy He did not smile easily, and when he did, the smile often had a cruel edge to it. It's coming at someone else's expense. 
Hank rarely affirmed anyone. He operated on the assumption that if you compliment someone, it might lead to a swelled head. So he worked to make sure everyone stayed humble. His native tongue was complaint. He carried judgment and disapproval the way a prisoner carries a ball and chain. Although he went to church his whole life, he was never unshackled. There was a period of time when his primary complaint centered around the music in the church. It's too loud, Hank protested to the staff, to the deacons, the ushers, and eventually to innocent visitors to the church. We finally had to take Hank aside and explain that, complete, that complaining to complete strangers was not appropriate, and he would have to restrict his laments to a circle of intimate friends. And that was the end of it. Or so we thought. A few weeks later, secretary buzzed me on the intercom to say that an agent from OSHA was here to see me. I'm here to check out a complaint, he said. As I tried to figure out who on the staff would have called OSHA over a church problem, he began to talk about decibel levels at airports and rock concerts. Excuse me, I said, are you sure this was someone on the church staff that called? No, he explained, if anyone calls, whether or not they work here, we are obliged to investigate. Suddenly, the light dawned. Hank had called OSHA and said, the music at my church is too loud. And they had sent a federal agent to check it out. By this time, the rest of the staff had gathered in my office to see this man from OSHA. Now, we don't mean to make light of this, I told them, but nothing like this has ever happened around here before. Don't apologize, he said. Do you have any idea how much ridicule I faced around my office since someone, everyone discovered I was going to bust the church? Sometimes Hank's joylessness ended in comedy, but more often it produced sadness. His children did not know him. His son had a wonderful story about how he met his wife at a dance, but he never told his father because Hank did not approve of dancing. Hank could not effectively love his wife or his children or people outside his family. Whatever capacity he once had had for joy or wonder or gratitude had atrophied. He critiqued and judged and complained, and his soul got a little smaller each year. Hank was not changing. Even more troubling than his lack of change was the fact that nobody was surprised by it. It was as if everyone simply expected that his soul would remain withered and sour year after year, decade after decade. We expected that Hank would affirm certain religious beliefs. We expected that he would attend church services, read the Bible, support the church financially, pray regularly, and avoid certain sins. But here's what we didn't expect. We didn't expect that he would progressively become the way Jesus would be if he were in Hank's place. We didn't assume that each year would find him more compassionate, joyful, gracious, and winsome in personality. We didn't anticipate that he was on his way to becoming a source of delight and courtesy who overflowed with living water. So we were not shocked when it didn't happen. We would have been surprised if it did. So, on your paper... Scale of 1 to 10. Are you experiencing that? Are you becoming more joyful, patient, gentler, kinder? Here's the good news in all of this. And as we head into 2017, I just want you to grab onto this one thing. It's how Paul wrapped this whole thing up. He said, this is the good news. It is Christ who is in you. He is your hope of glory. Would you bow your heads with me? It's a very interesting discovery that's been made by people who study how people change. And it doesn't ordinarily happen by just changing behavior patterns. Typically, 
It happens from the inside out. That knowledge becomes wisdom and values. And values then become convictions and convictions develop character. So as we start this new year and start this new series and we talk about your spiritual health, I hope, I hope you take some time to assess your own health and vitality when it comes to your life with God. And not just am I doing all the right things, but am I becoming the right kind of person? And if there's any one of those areas in which you say, you know, this is an area that I need to start exercising because I'm kind of weak in this one. See what God will do as you give him the opportunity to work in your life. Now, maybe you're here and you don't know a relationship with God. You don't know what it means to have God at work in your life because you've been pretty much living your life doing it your own way, trying to fix it on your own. But in all honesty, as you look at it, you know it's not working. You got enough failure and mistakes to prove it. Maybe today it's a first step of faith. It's just a willingness to give up and say, God, I'm letting go of this control of my life. I can't fix myself and I can't change my past. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I want to put my life in your hands. If you have never done that before, I can't think of a better way to start a new year than to take that very first step of faith. And if that describes you and you're at that point of decision, that God's been tugging on your heart maybe for a while, and today it's the time to say, yes, I give up. And I'd love to lead you in a short prayer as we close. Would you just, we do this every week, would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment, catch my eye, because I want to pray with you and for you as we close. All right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm just going to invite you to make this your prayer. Lord, here I am with my mistakes and my failures, my sin. I can't fix it. I can't undo it. I need your grace. I thank you for what you did for me on the cross and the price that you paid for my forgiveness. And I pray that you would take that and apply it to my life. Forgive me. Restore me. Put your life within me. I want to follow you. I'm giving you my life today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You may